0: Welcome to a Veterans Podcast, powered by Wisconsin Veterans Network, the show where we hear unique, inspiring stories from veterans all over. Veterans who've transitioned, who've overcome obstacles, and even those still struggling. We will learn all veterans have a unique story, ones filled with pain and triumphs, and we will learn no veteran is alone, no matter the path they took. We share their stories to help motivate and inspire the world, to help understand what it means to be a veteran, and most of all, we share to give them a voice amongst the noise. You can find us at a veteranspodcast.com to learn more and how you can be a part of the show. Welcome back, everybody, to A Veteran's Podcast. I am excited to be in the studio today. We actually have an in-studio guest, which is super exciting, you know, for those that are worried we're socially distanced and all those good things so don't be too worried but um i am excited to have in the studio sergeant bj Gannum. he was in the marine corps um you know once a marine always a marine um and all those good things but we're excited to have him here he is doing some really amazing things um in connection to like service dogs and stuff like that so um i'm excited to get his take on all of that as well as his transition story. Um, he served from ninety six to two thousand five. So, you know, he he was there, did the things, you know, that we've all done. So I'm excited to have him. Uh, today's show is sponsored by Wisconsin Veterans Network, an established Wisconsin nonprofit ran by Veterans for Veterans. Their mission is to provide guidance and support for all veterans, whether guard, reserve, active, or even a bad discharge, looking for any kind of assistance in the state of Wisconsin. If you are a Wisconsin veteran looking for an answer, whether a simple question about benefits or are currently homeless, give them a call today. You can find more information about them at wisvetsnet.org or on our website at aveteranspodcast.com. We are also on Instagram, uh, we're even on TikTok, but don't worry, I don't do the viral dances, and uh, we're on Facebook too, so you can find us there at aveteranspodcast.com. All right, well, welcome to the show, BJ. Thanks for coming.
1: Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah. having me. Sorry, it's, it's just me.
0: <laughs> you and all your friends. So. That's right.
1: <laughs> all, and all the voices in my head. We're hey, here.
0: look, we're all <laughs> here together. It's totally fine. So um, why did you join the Marine Corps?
1: Um, well, it's pretty simple. I graduated high school in 95 and I went to college at the University of Georgia Southern. And after a year of college, I was politely asked not to come back. Oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't
0: I, even want to know. <laughs>
1: yeah, just mostly I uh, I went to a party in California and didn't make it back for midterm. So I ended up oh. with like a 1.7 GPA and apparently they, they frown upon that. Uh, and yeah. So, <laughs> uh, to break it to my mom that I, don't worry, I still have a plan. Um, after watching Legends of the Fall and imbibing and in a few alcoholic beverages, <laughs> I was inspired to figure out how I could be like Brad Pitt and just gallivant the world.
0: Outstanding.
1: And the Marine Corps seemed to be the closest thing I could find. So I uh, joined up and decided to go in December 15th. That way I got out in time for St. Patrick's Day in Savannah, which is a huge celebration. My 10 uh, days of leave happened, I uh, graduated March 14th. So then I was right there for St. Patrick's Day. Had a great time with my family. Uh, woke up March 18th in West Palm Beach, Florida and party down there for a couple days and then took a train back up. My cousin picked me up in Savannah. We went to Athens for a couple days. I came back just in time to kiss mom goodbye and jump on a bus and head to uh, Camp Geiger for infantry school. And at that moment is when it hit me that all the planning <laughs> I did was just for boot camp.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was solely for St. Patrick's solely Day. Solely <laughs>
1: for St. Patrick's Day. I just thought about boot camp, and then I realized, oh, this is going to be four years. But it turned out to be <laughs> uh, one of the better decisions I've made in my life, for sure.
0: That's awesome. I think that's the best story I've heard yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you, you really plan to be home for St. Patrick's Day. I can appreciate that. I'm Irish. Okay. I, I feel that. Um, not as much now because I'm older and I don't recover like I used yeah, to. sure. But, you know, I, I can appreciate that. So, okay, so you joined in the 90s, which there wasn't, like, a whole lot going no, on.
1: I don't, nothing at all, really. I mean, Kosovo, I was pretty close to be going to Kosovo, but then they turned that more into an air battle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, um, it was funny, like, when I tell people about our training like an active duty infantry battalion, and, and at the time I was at uh, an LAR battalion uh, as a scout. Um, we didn't have any blanks or anything, a lot of times no ammo, so we're just running just butter pretending. butter jam, you know, running around in the woods, <laughs> just butter jam jamming each other like we were kids. Um, you know, I did get to work at OCS for a time while I was um, in active duty and was a combat instructor there, and there there was plenty of uh, training uh, money and whatnot. So, um, but it was good. You're right. It's totally different. And when I got out in 2000, December of 2000, and took a job here in Wisconsin with Nabisco, which eventually was bought out by Kraft, mm-hmm. um, I decided to stay in the reserves, and I stayed in with a uh, golf company there in Madison, part of uh, 2nd Battalion 24th Marines Infantry uh, Company. Mm-hmm. And because I enjoyed the job of Marines, but I wanted to, I didn't want to do it every day and put up with all the other... Bureaucratic. Especially with nothing going on. But then 9-11 happened, and that turned everything upside down.
0: Yeah, and how did that, how did 9-11 impact your career or impact you? And, like, was it like, okay, it happened, and you're like, all right, let's go? Or was it more like, oh, all right, now what? You know, like, how did that impact your career moving forward?
1: Sure. So my daughter was born, and she was two and a half months premature. So she was, like, two pounds, one ounces. Mm. And so I was sleeping on the floor of the hospital there at St. Mary's in Madison, and I got woken up, and someone said, "Hey, somebody flew a plane into a tower, into one of the World Trade Towers." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What jerk didn't see the yeah. towers? Right? Like, how did <laughs> like, he miss that? They're who huge." Does that? I was thinking it was a Cessna or something. Yeah. And then I saw what was happening, and I and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Mm-hmm. You know. And I remember calling the first sergeant, first sergeant Christian, and like, "Are we going?" <laughs> He's like, it just happened, buddy. You got yeah, to like, s- calm down. Give us a like, minute. Yeah. So um, I was definitely – I mean, I, I think I was just like everybody else at that time. You know, I was angry.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: no way. You're not doing that to us.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, so I would say it, it definitely impacted – I mean, it made training very real, mm-hmm. right? And I think I give credit to our command there at Golf Company. We started taking trainings really serious. Not that we didn't before, but – more specific to knowing what the mission was going to be. Yeah, it and was East a different ops. energy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we were fully activated in May of uh, 2004 mm-hmm. um, and, you know, went, went over. Um, we were supposed to go in, 20, in 2003, but Turkey closed the borders, and we were one of the um, battalions that were supposed to come in from the Turkey. Side. Oh, okay. So uh, we got pushed off until 2004, and, yeah, um, that's where it all started, right?
0: So, yeah. Crazy. So, um, obviously I haven't given any of your backstory sure. of like your service. Um, so why did you get out of the military and was it your choice? Like if, if we fast forward, you can take us to the moment sure. where, you know, so you yeah, know. I got
1: activated in, in May of 2004, you know, we did our training over in Pendleton and we were in country and we were in just south of Baghdad and that Sunni triangle and was our forward operating base. My platoon and I were put out under a bridge. So we actually lived out under a bridge and patrolled from there.
0: Like little trolls. Like no. little <laughs> trolls,
1: exactly, exactly. So uh, Thanksgiving night of 2004, uh, on a our, on our patrol like we normally do, we would ghost a lot of these Army convoys, wait for them to get attacked. Uh, we'd peel off and take care of the people doing the attacking. Um, that night was pretty quiet. On the way back, I hit a victim-initiated IED, uh, it was actually the 13th IED I went through in Iraq, but this one was set up with a tripwire tied to three uh, 155 Russian-made artillery shells. It went off right at my door, so it got my left foot pretty bad, which in, uh, I ended up having to get my left leg amputated from below from the knee down. Mm-hmm. Uh, shards of glass in the left eye, and you know shrapnel wounds throughout. It killed my gunner Ryan Cantafio, from Beaver Dam and injured three other Marines. that were able to return. Uh, to duty, but I was medevaced out at that point. You know, uh, truck we had a small ambush, so as they were stabilizing me, they squelched that ambush as well. Put me on a truck because we couldn't land helicopters mm-hmm. there due to the hot LZ. Got me back to uh, Fob St. Mike's. From Fob St. Mike's, I took a Black Hawk to um, Balad, or excuse me, to Baghdad. They did the initial amputations there, took the glass out of the eye, kind of stitched me up. And then from there, flew me to Balad, Balad to Longstool. Longstool spent you know a few weeks there. I mm-hmm. actually had my 28th birthday in Longstuhl. Oh.
3: Um,
1: and then flew from Longstool to St. Andrew, uh, Andrews Air Force Base, from Andrews Air Force Base to Bethesda, from Bethesda to Walter Reed. And then, you know, uh, October of 2005, I am medically retired um, and then returned home to Wisconsin to resume my career at, Craft Nabisco.
3: Wow.
0: That's quite a journey. Exactly. Um,
1: Exactly.
0: So I'm curious because most people I've talked to that have been injured overseas, they were active duty. So in the reserves, like, what do they do with you? I feel like that's a weird question to ask, but is it like, oh, you got injured. We're going to make sure you're better. And then you're done. Peace out. Or was it like, let's get you ready to get out of the military, or how do they...
1: Well, you know, and, and, and this was oh4 and oh5 so it was, you know...
0: There was a lot going on. A lot then. going
1: on right then. And so I was in Walter Reed at the time when they opened up the closed wings and everybody was having a hissy fit about that. And it was really unwarranted because the reason we had to open up those wings is because of how well we performed as a military unit. Mm-hmm. The data that they had to go off of for a scale... Uh, scale of um, operations this large would have been Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And in Vietnam, you had like a 49.6% chance of survival if they got to you while you're, while you're breathing. Mm-hmm. And so they were preparing for around 67 to 70% survival rate. Because all of us throughout the military took uh, the combat medic so seriously, and all of us knew how to put tourniquets on, and all of us knew how to put IVs in, and, mm-hmm. and all that it wasn't just the medics and the corpsmen, what ended up happening is in Iraq and Afghanistan, if they got to you while you were breathing, you had a ninety-eight point six percent chance of survival.
3: That's awesome. We have
1: five living quadruple amputees from these wars. We have so many people with severe traumatic brain injuries and and burns and 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 other ampute and just other injuries that survived where in past wars to include like the, the desert storm, they wouldn't have been able to survive those injuries. So it wasn't that the government failed. It was that our military forces and the men and women that make up those forces mm-hmm. did their job so well. We broke the medical facilities when we came back, which is a good thing yeah. in my mind. And that's For the way sure. it should be For presented. Sure. And and give credit to the health professionals that work there, you know, they didn't buckle under the pressure. Mm-hmm. They adapted, they overcame. And we all got great services, even if the media made a big deal about it. So I, I don't want, I was there on the <laughs> ground. It wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what needed to happen, and it happened for good reasons, not bad reasons. Um, but as far as being a reservist, it was challenging.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but at the same time, we were all kind of in that same boat. So there was a lot of issues there. So being a Marine and being in Walter Reed, and that's where the majority of the amputees yeah. were going to, was was the uh, Walter Reed. And at this time... Walter Reed and Bethesda were two separate stations, mm-hmm. and now they're combined. But um, so when I was at Bethesda, everything was fine. You know, we had a Marine liaison there, the Navy, everything was being taken care of fine. When I transferred over to Walter Reed, it got a little bit dicey because all the Marines were in the Malone House, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a Fisher House or around, it's more like a hotel right there.
3: Okay.
1: Um, and so they have like a little snack bar and the lobby. Mm-hmm. We didn't have meal cards because we weren't army so we couldn't really utilize the the military chow yeah. hall. So we were paying out of pocket at the little canteen at the bottom of the thing, you know, six dollars for a hamburger or all yeah. this other stuff. <laughs> a or microwave going, hamburger. Right. Or going to <laughs> Burger King or Subway there around the PX as the entities were working to try to figure out how to get us meal cards. Mm-hmm. And, and that just goes to the bureaucracy of kind of government, right? It's just Sometimes when you put too much on it, I mean, they lose common sense. This is on top of the fact that somehow I was uh, put on like the kill list wrongly, and so I was not paid at that time. Oh my goodness! So thank goodness for a nonprofit called Simplify Fund. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were there in the hospitals, and they started paying the bills. They started bringing us food. Um, We had other organizations around there bringing us food, and other like celebrities and digging. So. People were coming together, which was a good thing. And so mm-hmm. I didn't really feel any hardship other than just a confusion on top of yeah. everything else, right? And, but, and they
0: just – I feel like maybe they weren't expecting what happened. Right. And, you know, and so they had zero idea how right. to even prepare for it.
1: And with me being a reservist, you know, you don't have that dedicated uh, admin role like you would in active duty. I mean, they, they are there, but they're kind of disconnected, you mm-hmm. know. And those are all the things that we learned. I think we've integrated all those uh, entities in better. Um, And I I still think there's some improvements we can make. So, yeah, there were some challenges in being a reservist. But one thing that I want to highlight is that, you know, everybody was doing everything they could. The the only thing that really stood in the way was just all the bureaucracy of government. Red tape. Red tape and... But the people on the ground were doing everything they could and 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 even inventing ways, especially the people outside the government, can be a lot more dan- dynamic.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And is one thing that, you know, I always try to point out when we try to ask our government to do more, we've got to understand that they have extreme limitations, especially yeah. being able to be more dynamic and, and understanding as things change, they can't change as fast as mm-hmm. some of these nonprofits can. So that was... One of the good things, and and like I said, it's always a learning experience, but yes, being a reservist and being injured was a little bit more challenging, but the Marine Corps model is always faithful, and those men and women that were on the ground, and even the Army and the Navy and everybody Mm -hmm. else, they all did what they could to ensure that we had, they did everything they could to speed up the process, Mm so um, again, hats off to them, but you're not going to know these things until you actually yeah until you actually have the the systems and where you realize oh wait this doesn't work because of this reason
0: for sure yeah so did they have like i don't because you weren't active duty was there like transition classes that you took after like your injury and then coming back to kind of reintegrate back in or was it kind of like okay you've gone through your whole recovery program have a good day.
1: <laughs> it was and and to to be fair, I was pushing to get out of there sooner. So I was one of the fastest ones to get out of there. Mm. And I had a job waiting. And you know, I've gone through T eight TAPS programs mm-hmm. before when I got out the first time. Um
0: and how so, did you feel about that TAPS course? We ask
2: everybody yeah, how they feel. It's,
1: that's by PowerPoint, <laughs> <Yep>. right? It's <laughs> I mean, again, hopefully they need to come up with an interactive app. That can help it. And they should be treating the enlisted side, especially like they treat the officer side, to where you get some of those um, assets available to Mm -hmm. you um, earlier on in that last year, even if you haven't made up your mind. Yeah. I mean, how we treat officers and senior enlisted versus how we treat the first and second uh, enlisted is vastly different. I mean, when they put, what, when I took taps coming out of Lejeune in December 2000, it was like, I don't know, 600 of us in an auditorium <laughs> oh you gosh. know. and there's a powerpoint a guy reading a powerpoint another powerpoint a guy reading a powerpoint and a girl in the powerpoint you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, and
0: you're just like uh just
1: make it go away yeah right just stab mm-hmm. me in the eye and send me to the hospital i'll go out that way but you know it, it, it's one of those things that um i think they do need to invest mm-hmm. in i'm not sure what they're doing now but at the end of the day you know we've also got to do a better job as individuals in the military and preparing ourselves and doing that research. as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's more complicated. Hopefully they're getting better, but yeah, I found not that much value in it, but I wasn't really looking for it either. I come, I have a, you know, great family and other great resources. And I was kind of motivated on my own. I was already doing job searches on my own. Um, I, I paid for some resume help and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I was able to circumvent having to wait for, you know, the, the government option, which is yeah. always never as good as, mm-hmm. as what you can do for yourself or what another private organization can do for you just because of it has to be the lowest common denominator when it comes from the government. So TAPS is always going to be lacking. So always look for those ways, save your money and put it towards your own development instead of waiting for um, you know these government institutions <laughs> to try to get creative cuz government doesn't create anything
0: yeah that that makes complete sense um so then leaving walter reed and and leaving that like safe place i don't i don't never like that word but you know what i mean like yeah, you know it
1: wasn't i mean it's not like it was a safe place but yeah i mean for me i had kids back at home mm-hmm. you know and so i was wanting to get back to them and mm-hmm. i wanted to get back to work I knew my military career was over. I was angry about that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I was angry that my my unit was still serving in the combat zone and I wasn't there. And I and that's still what bothers me. Like if I would say like, "What's my PTSD?" is that I only have a half a combat deployment. And I know, rationally, all the other things, but the feelings are still yeah, you know, of failure. There's some way I should have done it. Again, I'm not. Don't anybody call me and be worried about, like, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm just being honest about some feelings, right? It's just calm down. You know, I take my medication. I'm not a threat to myself or anybody else. But I don't like the fact that I got injured. And, you know, when you're planning for this, you think about going there and the job you're going to do. And you think about, you know, if you don't come home and you're making sure that everybody's taken care. You don't really think about the middle part. Yeah, you don't think
0: about, like, so I'm coming home, but I'm not coming home the same person when I left. right. So yeah that that makes complete sense. Um so what would you say were some of the biggest mistakes you made in your process either getting out from active duty or what after sure. um you came back to Walter Reed did you have any like looking back now you're like oh man I probably shouldn't have done that.
1: Yeah, you know, I was uh I was a- I rushed the process. You know, I wish I would have like looking back I didn't take any pictures you know, while I was in Walter Reed, like I was just really angry. Mm-hmm. Right? I just put my head down, did my PT work, was just trying to trying to get out of there as fast as I could. You know, when we did have different events, but most of the time I took convalescent leave and I just anytime I had a break, I would just fly home, hang out with the kids and then go back. I mean I don't regret that at all. Mm-hmm. That's still the right decision. But while I was there, you know, I did do some of the dinners and I and I did do some of that stuff, but I really just tried to keep a low profile you know, put my head down mm-hmm. and and just get. And that's just kind of what, you know, it kind of led into when I got back home. I buried myself, went back to school full time, went back to work full time. It mm-hmm. was just, you know, burying myself in as much work as possible. So you didn't and have
0: to think about the other stuff? I or don't know just... if it wasn't
1: just, I think it's more so trying to rationalize or prove to myself that you're not, you know you are going to be medically retired.
3: Mm-hmm. And at the
1: time, you know, I had the choice to stay in um, and, you know, probably work a desk job or do something like that. Not to say that those aren't important, but I wanted to be in infantry. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it wasn't so much that they were going to let people stay in the infantry with the missing parts. And to me, I don't really believe in that mm-hmm. because you're a risk, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um,
3: for sure. It's more likely
1: your your. Prosthetic could break than it is that your foot could break, yeah. you know, or something else can go wrong, or you're, you could swell up and not be able to get your prosthetic on, or you can lose a bunch of weight in country and then your prosthetic stuff. Yeah. Thing. So, for me, in my mindset, was no, it, I would be too much of a risk to the rest of the unit to stay in for my own pride,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: And I'm not saying that people are prideful if they stay in, like that's that's a choice made by everybody. The way I viewed it, um, it was better to take the retirement and start focusing on the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And I should have invested more time and, and trying to explore what that next chapter would be like. Yeah. Um, instead of going the route I did of being angry, you know, eventually go through a bad divorce, have to do a bankruptcy, was facing a uh, DUI charges um, that thankfully, you know, I was able to get out of mm-hmm. and, And it helped me kind of get back onto a path of, hey, I need to not only fix myself, I need to figure out how to help other people transition as well. And so that's kind of what started going to that rock bottom, Mm -hmm. I guess, kind of helped me figure out the way up, even though it's the hard way. I've always said if I ever get money enough to buy a boat and it's big enough where I can name it, (laughs) I'm going to name it the hard way. Because, you know, if I got money enough to buy a boat, you know, I got it the hard way.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. So not everything is, like, doom and gloom when you're transitioning. Did you have any positives that you had or, like, resources that – like, you mentioned Semper Five Fund. Yes. Were there any other resources that you found especially helpful? So if, like, somebody's listening to this and they're getting ready to get out, they can, like, do the Google search. Sure.
1: I mean, Semper Five Fund was amazing. Uh, Now they are – you know directed towards the injured and the ill so not everybody getting out would apply would be eligible Mm -hmm. for those services you know the wounded warrior project was great um you know they brought a book uh backpack with some stuff in it um you know they actually when I arrived in um longstool I didn't have any clothes Mm -hmm. you know they cut off my (laughs) camis and and so they uh, had gift cards there with the Wounded Warrior project that took me down to the PX and was oh, cool. to get some clothes and all that good stuff. So um, that I mean I, I got to meet President Bush. He came to visit Look, all of us there.
0: I saw those pictures. Yeah. Like I'm I'm a huge fangirl of yeah. President Bush. Don't judge me. No, um, he's a
1: great man. I but got to I, meet him a few times.
0: I literally saw those pictures and I showed Amy, who's yeah. here, and I was like, oh, my gosh, look at this. Like, we had a moment. Yeah. And then we um, decided you can't be our friend because you met him and we didn't. So oh. That's...
2: <laughs> wow, okay.
0: <laughs> but, so that's cool. I yeah. mean... Yeah, I mean, so,
1: I mean, so, I mean, I'm a part of his Team 43. Uh, you know, I've got to be around him a few more times, play in his golf tournament. Um, I was uh, one of the vets that he painted and told his stories in The Portraits of Courage. Oh, my goodness. And... Um, yeah, I mean, he's been very inspirational um, and 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 pushing all of us to to do more with um, the platforms that we mm-hmm. have, and and he's helped elevate our platforms, which has been amazing. Um, you know, the 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 way people came around all of us was a positive.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: um, obviously the government has its its limitations just because it's the government, but the people inside for the overwhelming majority Mm -hmm. good folks and people really trying um i know that my physical therapist at bethesda um when he got out of the navy he moved to madison where he's from Mm. and is a physical therapist at the va still so i've had the same physical therapist for now 16 years
0: that is amazing
1: right that's so so, cool yeah so i mean little things like that And, Mm -hmm. and again like um our veteran community, right, and the people that support us, they mm-hmm. have been the, the main positive in all this. Yeah. And all of us trying to come together and figure it out um, without becoming the next entitled population of this country. Like, that's mm-hmm. one thing that I always worry about is that we got to keep our um, our images intact because we are trained to adapt, overcome, mm-hmm. right? Improvise, adapt, and overcome. So, again, we do... We do need some services in place, but we really need to be careful of, in my opinion, you know, let's ask what we can do first before we ask what the country can do for us.
0: That's awesome. I just want to go back in case our listeners, I was going to call them viewers, but in case our listeners don't know, can any branch of the military use Semper Fi Fund, or is it strictly a Marine they,
1: thing? They they, there are. They do have... Um, uh, Army, so they have the America's Fund now too. So I think it's actually they're calling themselves the Fund now, oh. um, because Army, Navy, Air Force. Mm-hmm. And, and so anybody that, can anybody that's ill or injured. Okay. So and so they have some other and I've and I've been. Um, so I left simplify Fund in 2017
0: because you worked for them, I did right?
1: yeah I, I went to work for them after I was Dane County's veteran service officer for a year and a half.
3: Awesome.
1: And yeah, I mean it was good. I brought in you know electronic uh, <laughs> record-keeping and
0: you really increase the amount. You really spice the place yeah, up Yeah, exactly.
1: Bit. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And that's what's wrong with government. It gets stagnant, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I just couldn't get past, like, every time you try to in- do some initiatives that didn't cost accounting anything, like most of the time it was the admin people that were complaining that it made their job harder. And it's like, well, then we don't really need you. Yeah. Right? And constantly getting that, you know, I was doing a lot of... Outreach stuff and admin people would complain I wasn't in the office, but I was in other areas where it was easier for vets to get to us versus coming to downtown. And it was just, it was, I felt it was a toxic environment Mm -hmm. Um, being that the way the government has traditionally been set up to Mm -hmm. do these services, it's, you know it's not set up to be dynamic and try to serve as many people.
0: Well, and sometimes you got to meet the veterans where they're at. Exactly. Cause they're not really super excited right. to leave where they're at.
1: Right. And I know, I think it's, it's getting better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I know that the, the veteran service officer that's there now, Dan Connery is a really great guy. Um, but again, government is limited and yeah. what it can do. And what we're seeing in a nonprofit world um, you get to see more competition. We have forty-eight thousand veteran-centric nonprofits in this country. Wild, wild, but you know a lot of them fail, which is good. Yeah, you know what—that's the problem with government is that you have failed programs across the board, but you have no way of getting rid of them, mm-hmm. and or no way to um, make them more dynamic. So um, when I left and went to work for Simplify Fund, I mean, I was going backwards in my pay scale. Right, I leave the yeah. corporate world, go to government. <laughs> Leave the government world, good, a nonprofit, and but it was very fulfilling in what mm-hmm. I was doing and being able to actually meet the meet actually fulfill the needs better.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's cool. That's cool. So now, where are you now? Are so right you've now? you've transitioned. You hit rock bottom. You didn't buy a boat. Nope. And now, what are you doing? And so. where? Did your transition take you?
1: Sure. So when I got back, I went right back to school, right, and I was working on a business degree.
0: Did you You make it past the first year this time? I
1: did. Outstanding. Um, Well, I think (laughs) I got kicked out of one more college. Oh, come on! But then I finally got it, (laughs) and I understood. And and what I ended up doing was switching from business to social work. Um, So I went. I had a psychology undergrad from St. Leo University, and then I went and got a master's in social work from the University of Southern California Look with an emphasis on military life, right? And finally had some passion to go with the learning, which actually helps. So mm-hmm. if you don't really know what you want to do, try some things, but you know, don't go full tilt until you, you actually believe in what you're doing. It'll help studying, make it a lot more fun. <laughs> so I um, so went there, and then I started an organization called Sierra Delta, which is the NATO alphabet for S and D, which stands for service dogs. Mm-hmm. So in all my work and working with veterans in transition and through various different programs, I was seeing a lot of service dogs. And myself, I had my own dog story. It wasn't a service dog per se. Mm-hmm. Like like um,
0: like a legally trained one. Right,
1: and that's one, of the, and I'll get into that later. But <laughs> um, so on my... I think my second convalescent leave, I ended up getting an old English bulldog puppy out of the paper because you're a
0: marine, right? (laughs) And
1: from Georgia, right? So, um, and he was great. He had, you know, when I got him, he was eight weeks old, just all head and wrinkles and (laughs) sleep on my neck. And then as he got bigger, he grew to be about uh, eighty pounds. Ooh, Um, and he would just instinctively know when I was having phantom pains in my Mm -hmm. residual limb, and he would just lay on it and that was the best medicine out wow. there like I I still don't take any medicine for phantom pains I use meditation mm-hmm. um and and actually I find that working working out hard and actually beating up the leg actually helps it to get back into in the line hmm. stop stop this complaining <laughs> um <laughs>
0: I like that That's right good. That's but good.
1: uh and that, when I was in those in that dark time you know bankruptcy mm-hmm. divorce DUI charges you know, there was a big part of me was like, I should have died in Iraq. I, I shouldn't be here. But Dozer, and that was his name. I named him Dozer, right? Bulldozer. Um,
0: <laughs> There's so many jokes I can I know. make about the whole
1: thing. Exactly. I'll just be it's nice just, today, It's cliche. But, you know, yeah. hey, what can I do? And at that time, I was living the cliche, right? In trouble with the law, you know, angry, mm-hmm. divorced, all that stuff. Um, and I have a great family, and I have a great network, Uh great group of friends, you know, I had kids that I love, even though I was in this dank apartment and they were at their homes and I only got to see them, you know, every, every other day or whatnot. But, you know, in that darkest moment, Dozer's real talents were that he can get slobber in places that, you know, you didn't think <laughs> you'd get slobber into. <laughs> he could clear a room with his farts, you oh. know, eat a piping hot cheeseburger in one bite, you know, even if it wasn't his, <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> so he kept it light.
1: Right, and he kind of did his own thing. And I knew, you know, no one would take care of him. Mm He would end up in a pound and eventually get put down. So that was enough to really force me, all right, if not for myself, if not for my kids, if not for my family and friends, for this dog. Everybody else could get along fine without Mm -hmm. me. So I think, I mean, you know, but this dog actually needed me, right? So that forced me to sit down, write letters, help pull myself out of this trouble, what I, what I say is pull my own head out of my ass, mm-hmm. um, and start figuring out how to fix me. And then I'd worry about fixing the, everything else around me. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from that is, as long as I keep focusing on fixing me, everything else around me is fine, even if it's falling apart. So I have known the power of dogs, Right. And as I was looking at the way the quote-unquote service dog industry is working for vets right now, it's giving them a guide dog, which is mostly used for people that were blind or deaf. Mm -hmm. And this industry has pivoted towards veterans, I think, one, because they do care. But the second reason is because not as many blind people and deaf people anymore as there used to be. We're taking better care of our eyes and Mm -hmm. ears. And we have better technology to overcome those disabilities that don't include dogs Mm -hmm. the problem i have is that only about a half a percent of the veterans actually need the level of dogs that they're all in line waiting to get and that Mm -hmm. everybody says costs an average of thirty five thousand dollars a dog
0: that's so crazy it is crazy
1: and you look at america's vet dogs you know they do 50 dogs a year and they say it costs 65 grand per dog
0: that dog better do my laundry for, like literally right. the whole thing. not Right, just and they
1: are great dogs, and not, I mean yeah. I'm not disparaging them, but what we have right now is we have all this argument about fake service dogs mm-hmm. and all this stuff. We need to get the terminology right. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be called service dog. It's confusing, right, especially if you're, if you're marketing to service individuals, mm-hmm. people that served, yeah. right? They should be called what they are, which is medical assistance dogs, and they have public access, Right, They can go anywhere because that person needs the dog to go everywhere, to do yeah. specific tasks. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of us veterans can benefit from a well-trained dog for service purposes. Mm-hmm. But it's not that we need the dogs to go everywhere. And, and I can prove this in the fact that the vast majority of vets that have America's Vet Dogs and all these other academy dogs, when they're at events, I don't see their dogs. Mm-hmm. The majority of the time, they're at home. And that's, and that's okay with me. Yeah, It's not okay with the organizations, and sometimes they'll take those dogs back. Right? To me, it just confounds the, 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 the problem. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. Wow. So when I started Sierra Delta, at first I started, I wanted to have a universal application to where all the vets could try to speed up that process.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And in that first year... I did a five week commercial in partnership with Blue Buffalo and PetSmart, and we raised a million and a half dollars and we gave it to 12 great organizations. They're still great. But President Bush told me when I was going down this path, he's like, he calls me Belushi. That's my nickname from him.
0: He gave you a nickname? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I really can't be your friend.
1: Why not? You might be able to meet him if oh you're Oh my, my God.
0: Okay, we're besties now. <laughs> Look, that just happened.
2: We just so, became best friends.
1: He told me, he's like, Belushi, I can give $5 million to any one of these dog companies and it won't move the needle. Now, I didn't give $5 million, We gave a million and a half total, mm. but it didn't move the needle. They're still only doing 20 here, 30 there. A Total, all the dog companies combined are doing less than 1,000 vets a year. That's and, crazy
0: because there's a lot of dog right. companies.
1: There are, I mean, but I mean, now that you get into accredited ones yeah. and all this other stuff. So, um, but essentially, the way I started looking at this is we've taken thirty five thousand year old technology and made it more complicated for no other reason than to make it more
2: complicated, mm-hmm. right?
1: So eventually, I actually in two thousand eighteen I was diagnosed with lymphoma, cancer, and so I had to go through the chemo, the oh, radiation, and all that stuff, and it was there. In that time that I was thinking about how I can make Sierra Delta better. Like how can I help more vets and more dogs? And I started thinking, like, we don't need public access. Like mm-hmm. that's that that shouldn't be the only choice. It's public access or you're on your own for a pet. Mm-hmm. Right? There had to be something in between. So I came with this life buddy concept, right? To to almost make it not seem like therapy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So any dog, and what Sierra Delta does is. We help provide training based on the veterans needs and wants with their existing dog. If they don't have a dog, we help them find a dog through shelters or even with a partnership with the Simper Fund, they will actually buy dogs for certain veterans and we continue on with the training. Mm-hmm. Because what we're seeing is that there's not really good follow-up in any of these training programs. Right. And so what I wanted to do was build a community where all vets could come in, and that's one of the things that I'm really proud of at Sierra Delta. All you have to do is serve, mm-hmm. and then if you have your own dog, we'll help pay for. We'll pay for the training. We help set you up with the training based on your needs and your wants. We have some that want. Off the leash training, which is great. Like the vast majority of people, they just want a cool dog, yeah. to right? They hang out with <laughs> that right? does
0: cool things, right? Or impresses the
3: ladies that no. <laughs> you can
1: take out. You could take out into public places, right? Because yeah. so many places are dog friendly anymore, mm-hmm. right? And so now you can have a dog that will you that you guys can understand each other better, and that in itself is therapy. Yeah, right. the The routine, the veterans participating in the training of the dog is like. I've had so many of them tell me, like, BJ, I knew you guys were going to train my dog. I didn't know you were going to train me too, but I like it. Yeah. Right? And this is all managed on an app. And we've gamified it. Mm. So they get badges. They get rewards based on what they do with their dogs, you know, and training-wise and playing games with their dogs that reinforce that training. Because when you look at the traditional model, what it is right now, when these people go to these academies, they sit on a waiting list for three years. They show up for seven to 14 days at a place they you know work with all the dogs in the beginning and then the trainers decide who's getting what dog and then they work with that dog for another few days and they send them home then it's the next class well the majority of these people have ptsd or tbis Mm -hmm. most of us are from lower social economic backgrounds and probably didn't do that well in school i.e. how i got in (laughs) the marine corps in the first place right yeah so how do we expect that training to stick? And I know you spent a year and a half with the dog, and that's great. But there's two two pieces to this equation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And why is it that the dog is getting a year and a half worth of everybody's attention and the vets are getting 14 days, yeah. get the picture taken, let's go fundraise,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then on to the next one. So, And I'm not saying, listen, these, these, these agencies are doing the best they can. I'm not saying anything. I'm just yeah. pointing out deficiencies that i see that where we can do it better
3: mm-hmm.
1: and so the way we approach it sierra delta we have this whole digital platform built okay they come in we have id me integrated so we can verify service within 30 seconds yeah right and if we can't then we start working with the, the branches to figure out where the, the issues are mm-hmm. so we can verify service quickly 72 percent of americans already have a dog in their home And the vast I have majority a great
0: dog she's right. pretty
1: so the vast majority <laughs> of veterans come to us already have a dog. Yeah. So we start there, right? Let's put some training on the dog, mm-hmm. right, if it makes sense. Sometimes they might be too old or it's more so their wives or their husband's dog or their kids' yeah. dogs or, or something else. And so then we'll help them make a decision on what dog to get. But we, we want the veterans to have a say in this. And one of the things that a lot of these other agencies do is they'll sell naming rights to donors, five ten thousand dollars they get to name the puppy that's going to go through the training for the year and a half before it gets to a vet right this way the vet gets to name their own dog which is important which is important right because they usually have somebody you know a fallen member or something that's important to them to name that dog so the amount of donors that contact me bj we want to be able to name a dog i can't do that for you and i know i lose money yeah that way but I also know the vets appreciate it and the fact that
3: For sure. they
1: get it's not they don't appreciate the dogs they get the other way. But again, we're only talking about a fraction of the percent of the veterans that are even going to get that dog. Yeah. So and
0: there's a connection when you're naming exactly. your own dog. Exactly. Something that means something to you.
1: Right. And there's something to be said about even if these these academies, I mean, they already have a ton of money, it looks like, um, and they do a great job, but they can't fulfill the need. Mm-hmm. Right, out of the 18 million vets that exist right now, it is estimated that 150,000 need a medical assistance public access dog. They're only producing 1,000 dogs at best a year. That means it's going to take them 150 years.
0: And we don't have that time. We
1: don't have that time. What we do at Sierra Delta is, and this is why we allow healthy vets, vets that didn't deploy, didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, we want you in this community. We want you to love a dog because we look at it as preventive maintenance,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, preventive medicine. It's inclusion, it's community. It helps them to get reengaged. And there's no, if they just want basic training, that's fine, Mm -hmm. right? They just want a dog that's going to sit with them on the couch while they watch Netflix. Cool. (laughs) Netflix and chill. Right, (laughs) you know. Um, Or, you know, for me, like I just adopted a German Shepherd uh collie mix last oh, september goodness. from That's a
0: hairy dog
1: it is and, uh <laughs> high energy he was locked in a cage for the first year of his life Ugh. was severely underweight uh, and a lot of anxiety issues mm-hmm. right um so most of these people will say that a guy like me is not a good fit for a dog like that and i say you're wrong because yeah. i know me better than you know me <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, for real <laughs>
1: And he's been great for me. He's helped me lose fifteen pounds. I've helped him gain thirty pounds. That's My kids stated. wanted a dog that would, they could play with, and that's the other thing that these agencies uh, restrict. Your family's not, not supposed to inter- interact with the dogs. It's supposed to only be for the person. They treat it like a medical device, and I don't. And I think that's wrong. Yeah, because that
0: dog still needs time off too.
1: Right. And that dog is still a soul. This isn't mm-hmm. like my prosthetic. Somebody had tried to say, no, this is like your prosthetic, and all these vets should have access to it. And I'm like, the vet should have access to it, but it's not my prosthetic. I yeah. can throw my prosthetic out the window, <laughs> and nobody's hurt, right?
0: <laughs> that's an awful analogy. Oh <laughs> right? But
1: you can't throw a dog out the no, window. No, please right? don't. <laughs> no, please don't. This is a soul. This is a being, yeah. right? It's still an animal, but it's, it's a living being in, in everybody that's ever owned a dog knows Mm -hmm. right you have a connection with the dog and that's important and that's what we wanted to focus on right and then putting training and regulation around that Mm
3: -hmm.
1: again another barrier to these service dog uh, organizations is that you got to have a doctor's note Mm -hmm. right I surveyed all the medical colleges across this country there's not a single one teaching doctors how to prescribe a dog Right, I'm so this is mad. nothing more than an opinion. Again, you see the just the hilarity yeah, in all of this. And then you, you put the money and the time
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then how few are getting served. We should be outraged, yeah. right? We, we got to do better. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that these academies need to spend that much money for the ones that have the most need. Yeah. right? We've helped a vet get into an, uh, um, an academy that was deaf and blind. Mm-hmm. They're going to need that level of support, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. We help other veterans get training through professional dog trainers that aren't academies, but are capable of doing this training at ten to fifteen thousand dollars, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes there is a a a bred dog for that because the needs are much more. But again, yeah. the ninety nine percentile of us.
0: Just want a companion. Just
1: want a companion, right? Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of dog-friendly places, so we don't need to have this argument about public access. And not to mention, public access is nothing more than a test. Yeah. Right? It's the good canine citizen plus plus test. So, if a veteran and their dog continues on the training in our Sierra Delta model, and they can pass that test every single year, we can grant them public access because mm-hmm. they, we have the video. We do it all in video. We put it on our servers. Yeah. If anybody questions it, we've got it. We've got a verified thing. The only thing that... And, but the majority of vets don't want to take a dog everywhere.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And a lot of times, and this isn't advertised very much, a lot of veterans return mm-hmm. these purpose-bred dogs because of the hassle it is to take the dog. You're not allowed to board a, service, uh, a medical assistance dog. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, if you just want to go on a vacation with your family... And yeah, you suffer from PTSD. Mm-hmm. You don't want your family to be inhibited by having to take the dog everywhere too. Yeah, right? we
0: had a, a female veteran on a while back who has a service dog, and she said that it is such a commitment. Yes, to have a service dog because it's like a child. It like is. Like you have to take that dog everywhere, and it's not. She said it's not a bad thing, but you have to be prepared for that.
1: Because she needs it. That's yeah. why it's not a bad thing. Yeah,
0: you know? but but it's <laughs> yeah. but you have to be prepared for that. Um responsibility right,
1: and this is what we're trying to do is give mm-hmm. options to the vets like hey, we're all the same like this is a community even vets with these dogs from these agencies are allowed to join the community and take part and do That's all the cool. games and do all that. nobody's treated any differently based on what level dog they have mm-hmm. they they get treat they get rewards based on what they do in their community the work
3: they
0: put in and
1: what they do with their dogs mm-hmm. so we give them extra points for volunteering at homeless shelters for. Uh, going to speak to civic groups or schools or volunteering at oh, animal cool. shelters, going, take their dog, especially if we've got a um, uh, good canine citizen training on the dog, you know, take the dog to a nursing home that mm-hmm. has vets and hang out with them. Right. And Let's you're engage. getting the vet out of the house. The vet I see out what there. you're doing. Exactly. I, this I is what, what it doing. is. Right. We're training the vets exactly like we train the dog with yeah. positive reinforcement. Right. That's cool. And it's simple things like they get discounts to, They get free gear. They get discounts to certain products. You know, hopefully as we get bigger, we'll get more companies donating products, and we can Mm -hmm. put that into – we also have experiences. So I captain a flag football team, and we pulled that into Sierra Delta now and putting it around that anybody in the programs can earn a way to be able to play on that flag football team that plays against NFL alums before the Super Bowl. look, we
0: didn't even get a chance to talk about that. Right.
1: You know, so there's ways to do this better and engage the whole (laughs) – the whole veteran population. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm going to be proposing to the VFWs and American Legion, starting here in Wisconsin first, is I can give you. We can white label this program for your club. Mm-hmm. We'll manage all the, the the digital aspects of it. Help you understand the trainers that we're going to be able to bring in, and you we can you can help us connect more veterans to training and mm-hmm. and, and rescues in your area, and make these. Eighteen between Amer- VFW and American Legion, there's eighteen thousand underutilized clubhouses. Let's start bringing yeah. the dog, this dog therapy there. Mm-hmm. Monitor it with this digital platform that translates to an app that's gamified for the vets to stay active in it. If the vets are older. And don't do as much on the phone. That's fine if they're at the VFW, the American Legion, yeah, the AMVETS. You'll DAV, come to them or whatever. Right? And then you'll have a younger guy that can upload a lot of their stuff so they can still get the benefits mm-hmm. of it. You know, But 2022, I really want to focus on you know, the first couple of years where like all vets can come in. Yeah. Right? And one of the best stories is Stephanie um, Marvin Miller. She served in the Army, and she's given me permission to tell the story. You can go to our YouTube page and you can see her tell it mm-hmm. herself. She was in the North Carolina National Guard, was raped. She gets out. She's turned down by, I think, 13 or 14 service dog academies. Finally, America's Vet Dogs that turned her down because they don't deal with military sexual trauma did contact me to see if we can help. We got her into Southeastern Guide Dogs. Mm -hmm. Within six months, she had Leland. And then having her be able to be a part of this community after. With Leland, she's now back in school. She's on the the Senate there. She's writing a book. That's she's openly phenomenal. talking about this. And, again, it's we don't have to overcomplicate this, yeah. right? And, this, and what we're hoping to do is, and this summer you should be able to see, we're going to open up the app. Everybody can get access to the same app that the vets are using for a $10 a mm-hmm. month donation, I think is what we're going to put on there. So instead of getting a calendar yeah. or – you know, a bunch of return labels or...
0: Something that's useful.
1: Right. You can use it for your own pet. And then the best part about it is instead of waiting for our newsletter, you can see what all the vets are doing. That's and you cool. can follow the ones that you want to keep track with. You can post your own pictures and engagement. It's essentially a social media platform that's just centered around Look, dogs. I'm
0: about to and, sign up right now. <laughs> like you're go. talking about this, and I'm like, yeah. this is great. You like just go
1: to SierraDelta.com. Veterans go right to the veteran application. Mm-hmm. You fill out the ID me stuff, and then you get a link to set up an appointment with the veteran coordinators. Mm-hmm. You talk to them, then they send you over to Stephanie. She gets you on the app. And then once you have your dog or you've already had your dog, you go mm-hmm. talk to Derek or Tony over in Canine Training and they're they're veterans too, and they're master dog trainers. They get you set up with training in your area. We pay for it. That's you so got cool. this app. We help you upload it. We help you learn about asking for permission in places that, if you, especially if you get to good canine citizen, mm-hmm. you can ask for permission. We've got vets that are in apartments that don't allow dogs. Their dogs aren't technically mm-hmm. these medical assistance dogs. But because they know that they can call us if they have mm-hmm. any issues, they're allowing these vets to bring these dogs into well, their apartments with them.
0: And we worked with you yeah. with a vet yeah. who needed a similar situation. and yeah. I mean, that's that's really how we found out about Sierra Delta right. at VetsNet was right. through that. But I think it's a, a phenomenal program because you're not just helping the dog. Right. You are – like I'm listening to this and I'm like, man, this might – help my funk that I'm in like just getting out there and it's a a competitive thing and we all like to be competitive and let me see how many badges I can get and whatever like that draws people in and especially veterans like it's a community that of other people who get it without having to talk about it
1: right because we're focused on the dog yeah And that's great, because every tense conversation, the first thing I do is, as I show, hey, here's my picture of my dog. Yeah. Then everybody else breaks out a picture of their dog, (laughs) and then we all get back onto that level playing field. So dogs are a great equalizer, right? Yeah. You know, we're coming up with a uh, dog walk kit, Mm -hmm. you know, because we got third-party fundraising, because we really want to engage the community to get behind us, so Mm -hmm. we don't have to put a ton of fundraising dollars behind us. Yeah. You know, and so... By allowing our vets, you know, you become an alumni as soon as your buddy passport is complete. That's what everything that houses all your dog's information. Mm -hmm. Even if you haven't started training, you're immediately alumni then. And then your training journey is between you, the dog, Mm -hmm. and the trainers, right? Mm -hmm. And the level of access and support, like, as far as um, if you have a, if you've passed all the tests and you have a medical assistant service dog... We have things that are in that app that help you explain that to other people. That's Right. Cool. They can also call our number, and we can go to bat for you. Yeah,
0: verify And approach. all that other
1: stuff. So we can do all that because we have a comprehensive system built, mm-hmm. right, that reduces the amount of bureaucracy, mm-hmm. and it's fully transparent. Mm-hmm. So this helps and w- by building a national brand for VET, you know, and having different categories you know just your basic pet you have the life buddy and you have what's called a, an assistance a medical mm-hmm. assistance dog you know public access all that stuff it's easy to understand mm-hmm. the vets know where they are they know what they have to do to get there because sometimes mm-hmm. what happens more often than not everybody comes in a program i definitely want a service dog right and i'm mm-hmm. fine with picking out my own dog i understand if if it can't be guaranteed, because 30% of those purpose-bred dogs wash out a service dog training yeah. too. So, you know, so they understand that, but they get halfway through it, and they're like, no, I'm good. I'm good here with just good off-the-leash training. Mm-hmm. Like, this, my life is better. Like, most of the grocery stores in Wisconsin have on their, on their windows all dogs welcome so long as they're well-trained, well, or well-behaved, well-groomed, yeah. and on a leash. Right. Any dog can be asked to leave. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody's going towards, because there is no real regulation over, you know, these medical assistance dogs and there's no real enforcement. And I don't know how you're going to do it. And that's what scares me for the veteran population, because we've already got enough of us entangled with law enforcement and the criminal justice Mm -hmm. system due to, you know, legitimate issues. To start, there's a lot of states that are passing fake service dog laws. Mm. And that's going to land solely on us, Mm -hmm. right? And the problem is, is that you have a veteran who is motivated, who can improvise, adapt, and overcome, and is looking at the fact that, hey, I can't get into these dog programs, but why can't I just adopt a dog or get a dog and work on training myself or find a trainer? Mm -hmm. But doing it on your own doesn't always play out, whereas you have a community like Sierra Delta. We are a veteran service organization that (laughs) focuses on dog therapy, Yeah. right? And and that's what we do. We're not a dog company, Mm -hmm. right? But we're going to help. If all 18 million vets want a dog, we're going to figure out a way. And And there are
0: plenty of shelters shelters. that are looking for people to just come get these dogs. And we've
1: got plenty of dog trainers. Oh, and better yet, I've got an apprenticeship program that we wrote and has been with our partners at Fastport. Um, and it's been approved by the Department of Labor. It's called the Life Buddy uh, Apprenticeship Program, Sierra Delta's Life Buddy Apprenticeship Program, to where mm-hmm. people can apply to learn how to become a dog trainer. So That's then,
3: cool.
1: um, companies like Sit Mean Sit is here in this area and in mm-hmm. Madison. They have 140 locations. Pet Smart, Petco, anybody that mm-hmm. has dog training or is a dog trainer can hire on these apprentices. They get tax benefits from the IRS. And then the Department of Labor pays that apprentice, that apprentice, excuse me, a two-year cost of living stipend to learn the trade, right? Because this isn't brain surgery. It probably only no. takes about two years to learn this. Yeah. And then it takes longer to get better at it, just like mm-hmm. anything else. But opening up avenues so that we can create more around this, so that we can serve more, mm-hmm. so that we can help not only more vets but more dogs. I mean. Just in large breed dogs alone in this country, and I only researched large breed because majority of vets want a larger breed dog. But don't
0: knock the little ones. I'm not. I mean, I we want help, a teacup Yorkie to, that I'm going to train. That's what. That's, that's my fine. new goal.
1: Listen, we helped a vet that was a Navy corpsman. He wanted a Chihuahua because he wanted to be able to sit in his basket and as that's he rode his bike. and he's like six foot six, <laughs> tattoos all over. I right? love it. So I mean, and that's where. That's the other thing is like it's, it's pretty much any dog. Yeah. Right. So long as you're going to commit to loving that dog and participating in the training
3: mm-hmm. and
1: and playing by the rules of which we clearly outline. Yeah. Right. And then be involved not only in the veteran community, but in your community at mm-hmm. large. You know, that's really where we're making a difference. And it's working and we're doing it for a fraction of the cost. So yeah. Loki is my uh, German shepherd. Uh rescue! Your super hairy dog. Oh, super goodness. hairy dog. My dog is hypoallergenic. Beautiful, beautiful coloring, so, though. I'll show you it, pictures. But uh, so
0: much hair. <laughs>
1: yeah, hey, he doesn't really shed that. Much. I mean, I brush him yeah. a lot too, so uh, we keep that under control. But so again, high anxiety dog, locked in a cage mm-hmm. for the first year of his life, uh underfed. Right. So super, super high anxiety at first. We went. We started going to sit means sit. We did five weeks of training. So um and then f- after that we have unlimited group training that we mm-hmm. can bring we can go to as much many times as we want to or we can also increase other that costs sierra delta one thousand nine hundred and sixty four dollars and i have taken loki to restaurants that allow pets and he's laid down under the table he barks a little bit we're still working on that we want we want <laughs> that steps. to go away but he doesn't bark excessively yeah right you know usually if i tell him quiet He'll do it, but we don't want him to do it at all in those yeah. type of situations. But that takes time. But if you look at that, and again, got me out walking, mm-hmm. especially during this COVID time, like I could be able to focus on just playing games with him. I could incorporate, I have two young boys at home that are mm-hmm. seven and five, you know, but it's not their responsibility yet, yeah. but they can still play with him. He's not... He doesn't need to work as much as, say, a medical assistance Mm -hmm. dog, which is why I'm saying, like, these other groups are important. They're just a fraction of the percentage, though. We can do a lot more for a lot more dogs and a Mm -hmm. lot more people through Sierra Delta. And then all those people that get those medical assistance dogs through those other great organizations can also, they just get fast-tracked right into the community and can start playing the same games and getting the same rewards. That's cool. And what we hope is by opening up this app, to the American public, they can start seeing where these veterans are getting training and they can go invest Mm -hmm. in their own dog relationship as well. And then we can naturally reduce the amount of dog incidences that are out there that are driving these criminal Mm -hmm. uh, laws to be put on the books. So let's utilize the carrot instead Mm -hmm. of the whip, right? Let's reward veterans for getting better. I I don't know how many times I told the VA – Like, hey, what if you rearrange this and you reward them for actually getting better instead of punishing them for getting better? Yeah. And that's what scares me about the PAWS Act that everybody's pushing to try to push through because when you read the PAWS Act, they are requiring that veterans have to go through a uh, evidence-based model and fail that before they can get to the VA paying for a service dog, And then it says... If the veteran shows any um, improvements with the service dog, the VA can take the dog back. So I don't oh understand why everybody's I pushing. Have no words. No words, right? No words. <laughs> and so it's, again, it's, and right now, currently, the VA is paying $2.1 million in 181 service dog or medical assistance dog yeah. insurance packages, medical insurance packages.
0: My goodness.
1: And so, Everybody that's crying that the VA needs to pay for this, no. In 2019, in this country alone, we spent $75 billion on pet accessories. $75 billion. I can
0: believe it. I know where most of that money went. It's in my living room floor. How we (laughs) built
1: Sierra Delta is that we can do profit shares with these countries. If we got 1% of that total spend, just 1% of it, that's $750 million a year. We could provide training and support for almost every single vet and their dogs with that type of money.
0: That's wild. Well, you have an event coming up, right, with Sierra Yes, Delta? we
1: have a, a virtual event called mm-hmm. Step Up for Vets. And so it's a run, walk, bike um, event. It's all online. Uh, you can do it in groups if you want. You can start a team. You each get your own page. You fundraise by how many. It's a really fun, interactive event. Yeah. Um, so you can go to our website. Go to Facebook. Instagram, uh, Twitter, you know, sierradelta.com. You can look me up and all those things, BJ Ganim. I have my own website, bjganim.com. He's
0: real fancy. If you check out his YouTube page... You'll see him. He's talking to Letterman and all that. He's that's like right. a big deal, guys. Yeah, I just want to let you know. Not a big deal. BJ's a big deal, nope. and he's my best friend now. So, I mean, it's basically like I'm a big deal, too.
1: That's right. We're all big <laughs> deals, right? Let's, and that's what this is about. Let's all get together. Let's help each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's encourage each other. Let's hold each other accountable,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? And let's start having some fun again. Like, yeah. when When did everything become so serious, right? And, For real, Let's just do it. Let's just have some fun.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm so grateful you came in. Like, this is like a breath of fresh air, honestly, just to, like, have this real conversation and to learn so much about your organization. I really think that this is something that so many veterans could benefit from. Yeah. And so I'm... I'm grateful that you came in today. Thanks for coming in the studio, too. It's kind of fun.
1: Well, I I like to be in person. It's hard. I mean, Zoom, you can only take so much of it, or the Hangouts (laughs) and everything else. I mean, it's vital. Thank gosh they were there. You know, I got my degrees, you know, utilizing the blackboard and all that (laughs) stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it is good to be in person. And I hope to see your name on the applications. Look,
0: I'm I'm gonna go home, and me and my fiance are gonna sit down, and I'm about to tell him he has to buy me a toy Yorkie, so that I, <laughs> I'm just go. kidding. I'll probably use my dog I already have. But
1: or well, get another. I mean, it's <laughs> up to you guys. I mean, and and that's the thing. We meet you guys where you're at. Mm-hmm. We we do. I mean, it, it it's working right now. We've already helped since 2017. 530 vets total. We've got 300 in the pipeline right now that we're that's actively awesome. getting set up for training. We have a goal this year. If we can raise three million dollars this year we'll be able to put a 1,000 new vets into training.
2: That's that means awesome.
1: that we'll equal the total amount of all the other dog companies combined for vets in one year.
0: Well, and even just the the things that you are f- fixing for vets included in this. You know, we, we talk a lot about 22 a day, yeah. and we talk a lot about PTSD, and we talk a lot about all these things that us as veterans deal with on a daily basis. And we all love dogs. Right. So let's just like put put it all together and, you know, work on it.
1: Now you're taking care of 18 million vets. Yeah. And you're helping the, you know, probably one million dogs a year Mm -hmm. find a a legitimate home. I mean, the other things I think we can grow into is have a foster program where veterans don't want to take on a dog right now. You know, they can foster and start the training, mm-hmm. right? And start doing that in the app and working with trainers. And then, when a vet that does want a forever dog, now we got one that's already started, yeah, and whatnot. You know, twenty twenty two, I really want to focus on getting older dogs out of the pound into to older vets, and then support them with training mm-hmm. as well. You know, because some older vets tell me like hey, they don't want to take on a young dog. Right. Well, there's the, the hardest thing to get adopted out of the shelter is yeah. an older dog.
0: I had a an eight-year-old Pekingese with one eye. I adopted him from the Humane yeah. Society. And that dog, I mean, he's since crossed the Rainbow Bridge, but yeah. that dog was phenomenal and helped me through my diagnosis yeah. and everything and like got me out of right. some pretty dark stuff. Cause you gotta take your dog for a walk. Right. You gotta get out and That's you right. gotta do something. And I mean, even at the end, he couldn't walk anymore, so I'd like carry
3: yeah.
1: him.
0: but I mean, it, it works. It's and that's phenomenal. no
1: training and no support yeah. around there. Same thing with what Dozer did to me. like this again, this is 35,000 year old know. technology, right? Yeah, that we've made more complicated for no real reason. And if I know, that's why I focus on the vets. One, I care about us, uh, and I love dogs. And I know if there's any population out there that's going to turn around and look to everybody else that wants to try to stop us from doing Mm -hmm. this, we're going to be like, no, this is for us. We need this. And at the end of the day, what I try to tell people, you know, when I do, like I said, there's no, all you have to have done is have served. Mm -hmm. That's it. We even have a guy that we're helping that he got hurt in boot camp Mm
3: -hmm. and
1: then was medically discharged. Right.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He feels guilty. And I'm like, no. Yeah. You you still raised your hand. You st- mm-hmm. Even if you only made it a few weeks before you got hurt, yeah. you're still one of us, mm-hmm. right? If you didn't go anywhere, if you, that doesn't matter to me, right? What matters is is that we are a dying breed, and we're all volunteer anymore, but I still love everybody that, that took their draft and mm-hmm. went and did what they needed to do when we did have the draft, so that's why we're still helping those men and women as well. And the majority of the, su- the suicides are coming out of the older population anyway, mm-hmm. so... I really want to make a big focus on that, but we've opened this up to everybody because we all served. Yeah, we all wore the uniform. It's one team, one fight, and if we're gonna get better as a community, we have to deliver something that is open to all of us. And I am tired of people constantly. Con- well, BJ, you have a purple heart. You're missing leg. We'd like you to take part in this program. I'm like, I feel good now, and I've got another yeah. program that I'm offering now for all vets. Like. Mm-hmm. What about this guy? He's struggling. Well, did he go anywhere? You know, what about her? Well, what did she do? What's her story? Oh, military sexual trauma. Ooh, we don't know what to do with yeah. that. I love it. trauma's Trauma is trauma. Yeah. Right? Just put your arms around him and say, hey, man, we're here for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so this, I think, can work. Uh, I'm excited to deliver it. And, um, you know, we're averaging about 25 applications a week from vets. And I know it's going to get higher. That's why mm-hmm. I'm out here trying to tie in all these other resources, utilize existing yeah. uh, infrastructure that's out there already. If we can bring in the VFW mm-hmm. and American Legion and AMVETS and DAV and all the other ones that have mm-hmm. clubhouses, we'll white label this dog program for you. We can all take part in it. We can mm-hmm. all help each other get better. And, and then we can have competitions between the clubs and between yeah. the different things. And <laughs> it's, it's unlimited. Hey, what don't, we could do.
0: don't discount VetsNet. We've got net. a nice Absolutely. big space there here. You
1: go. If you guys want I mean, a dog program, we can white label well. it here. You can help us find trainers. We yeah. can help you find trainers, and then we can start working with the rescues. Because that's the hardest thing. The next We've got the trainers that are loading onto the app. I mean, we're getting, you know, 16, 17 trainers a week across mm-hmm. the country. The next big step we're going to have to do is trying to herd the cats of yeah. the rescues. <laughs>
0: <laughs> herding cats. It's herding cats. Time.
1: You know, so, I mean, so then that way we can have realistic re- uh, relationships and mm-hmm. we can monitor – so that vets aren't just going to the pound unsupervised and just yep. grabbing a dog
0: and getting a little crazy with get all that. a little that.
1: crazy, right? And oh, and vets out there, calm down with the Malamuse, right? Ninety-nine <laughs> percent of you couldn't handle that dog and won't meet your needs, so don't get upset when we tell you no on the Malamuse <laughs> and stuff like that. Like you know,
0: Look, there's nothing wrong with a, a cute little Golden Doodle. Nothing, She's great, or just
1: know. a Mangio Mutt. You know, yeah, like the ones that look yeah. like
0: Lady and the Tramp.
1: Yeah, so there's there's plenty yeah. of options. We're gonna do what's best for the dog and what's best for the dog, and the vet. Uh, we've got some of the best professionals in the area in this in the system working for us. Uh, we've got a great corporate partner in Blue Buffalo, which is number one dog food it's all natural. You know, we've got North American Motor Car to sponsoring. We've got a NASCAR team that has us on the truck. These
0: are fancy.
3: We're,
1: <sighs> I it's, told you
0: you're a big deal.
1: Uh, we're getting there. And I'm we're a big deal
0: there. by default because now I'm your friend. We're all big uh, deals. <laughs> let's all be big
1: deals together. Let's join up Sierra Delta.com. Let's go get some dogs. Let's go have some fun, and let's celebrate America and our service.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for listening to a Veterans Podcast. Um, if you need to get in touch with BJ, you can always contact us at VetsNet, yes. too. Um, but thank you for listening to learn more about us, to hear previous episodes. Or if you are interested in being on the show, you can find us at a veteranspodcast.com. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Wisconsin Veterans Network, a Wisconsin nonprofit operated by veterans and serving veterans in need. Until next time.